0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Literacy View. As always, we have a special guest, but this one is a super special guest. Uh, we have Wiley Blevins on. Woo! Woohoo! The king of phonics. Um, he's been around for a long time. Uh, just like I've been around for a long time, we have the same. Birthday year and happy birthday to you, Wiley. Thank you. Yay. Yay. Maybe you're going to sing for him soon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe after. I'll, I'll All right. <laughs> okay. So um Wiley Glevins has taught elementary school in both the United States and South America. A graduate of Harvard Graduate School of Education. He has written over 15 books for teachers, including Phonics from A to Z, which was my very first book. Um, about phonics uh, many years ago, building fluency, teaching students to read nonfiction, and most recently, a fresh look at phonics. And I believe there's also the decodable text as well, a book on decodable text. He has authored elementary reading programs, conducted research on topics ranging from fluency to using decodable text, and regularly trains teachers throughout the U.S. and Asia. His current interests include using adaptive technology and working with districts to correct instructional and material deficits. Wiley lives in New York City, yay, yay. and also writes children's books. So welcome, Wiley. So I love that part of your bio where it says, um, uh, correcting instructional and material deficits. So yes. you can make a career out of that. <laughs> <laughs> <It definitely laughs> I'm sure, <laughs> just that alone, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so um, you were interviewed um, by the New York Times and uh, in an article called The Surprising Obstacle to Overhauling How Children Learn to Read by Troy Clason. And in that article, you said the linchpin is the principal and the assistant principal. And this is regarding the changes that are happening in New York City. That's correct. Um, And let me see. You said them understanding what's happening, being properly trained and having buy-in. If you don't have that, it's going to fail. So I would love for you to comment, comment on that, and then Judy will jump in.
1: Sure, so I was interviewed because I'm on the New York City Chancellor's Literacy Advisory Council. It's a pretty big group, uh, and the reporter is reaching out to some of us to get some comments about the initiative here in New York. And we've had lots of conversations about teacher training, but as we know in New York City, the principals and assistant principals, they're the kings and queens of the castle. And they have an enormous influence on what happens in that school, the attitude of the teachers towards the the initiatives and so on. And so we've had a lot of conversations about how we best get them uh, trained in the kinds of things that we'd like to see happening in the schools. I do a lot of work in schools. I do observations with principals and many of the principals, and this is not a a negative about principles, but many of them didn't teach the primary grades, don't have a background in phonics. And so they 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 are eager and open to some supports to help them really give the kinds of feedback that's going to impact instruction, because the reality is if you don't have a background in early reading and you watch a lesson, you get comments like your children were, were well-behaved and engaged, which is a good thing, or you follow the lesson, which is a good thing if it's a good lesson, a bad thing if it's a bad lesson. So we wanna really help principals give the kind of precise information that's going to move the needle. So one of the things that I do when I work with principals is I train them on those high-impact phonics and routines. You know, I show them models of what they are, and then I give them a list, a short list of look-fors. Like, these are things that you should see. If you don't see these things, the, this is the kind of feedback you can give to teachers that will really take that, that instructional routine from okay to, to more impactful. And these are some things that Teachers should avoid. So, if you see these things, these are things you really want to comment on. So, that kind of precision, having the mental model what the routine should be, and some really precise kind of feedback is something that uh, can be really beneficial for them. And they're they're eager to have that information. But if we don't if we don't uh, uh, you know equip them with that information, it's going to be very difficult to to get the kind of movement we need to see in in terms of the instruction.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Um, Judy, your thoughts? All right. So first of all, Wiley is the one that taught me everything I needed to know. Things that I didn't learn 20 years ago in education. In one book reading, I learned my syllable types. A Fresh Look at Phonics was my favorite book that was given to me actually when I was in universal literacy. And I think Wiley was doing professional development with us. And his book was the most practical, straightforward book. It was like easy. It wasn't complicated. It didn't give me a headache. I felt, (laughs) yeah, I felt, boom, that's it. I know the syllable types. Now I could have done so much better for so many years. I was prompting kids, do you see a part that you know? No. Do you see a glued sound that you know? What sound does that make? It brought all the missing pieces in my literacy training prior to being a literacy coach to life. And now here I am. Everything I learned from Wiley's book, I'm able to go to a teacher. I went to a teacher today that I'm in a cycle with and say, I asked her the question, do you know the syllable types? She's like, well, kind of. Three minutes later, I did a quick PD just sitting there one-on-one with the teacher and boom, she knows them now and how powerful that is. And I think, what Wiley just said is so important. Leadership has to embrace the science. They have to get down and dirty with us. They have to maybe even co-teach a lesson or get active in the field and see us. And I think the most important thing that Wiley, Wiley mentioned was make things user-friendly for these uh, principles. They have so much on their plate to manage. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't need to make it so complicated. They don't have to read like a 7,000 page book. And yes, I see a lot of leaders are going to letters training, the shorter version, and that might be fine. I'm in letters that's like a two year version, but we got to catch our principles up to speed quickly. September's going to be here around the corner. And there's a lot of shifts. You know, it means letting go of things that we've been used to for so many years. Like I let go of level literacy for the early stages a while ago, right? I still have them in my garage. I told Faith I didn't throw them out because. I'm um, repurposing and using it for kids that broke the reading code. Faith, are you proud of me? I'm so proud of you. I know, that's just, big. That's big. That's can big. Can I just jump in
0: for a second? Yeah, so, come right in. Come right in. So Judy just said something very important. It's about this practical kind of quick, um, you know, way to capture the attention of leaders. And I do agree with her that your books are very friendly. And I love that it's no BS. No you know, BS. No BS. Just no, none of this know. stuff. <laughs> you know about no the BS button. <laughs> yeah, this book had no BS. You didn't waste <laughs> my time. Right. So, you know, when I read your book, Phonics from A to Z, I was telling you, Wiley, it's the original, the one with the yellow cover. And that had to be from the 1990s, I'm assuming. Okay. So, you know, and I was already teaching many years without knowing. And I went through a master's program and my undergrad in in special ed and elementary ed. So here's my thought. How would you... Learn. Did you did were you taught in school? I wasn't taught about phonics. <clears throat> I'm just curious because you and I are the same age. We went to school at the same time. How the hell did you know about phonics to write about it?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I was quite lucky actually. So I did I didn't learn about phonics in my undergraduate work, but my very first interview to become a teacher, the principal asked me the very first question: how do you teach a child to read? And I immediately knew I didn't know the answer and it terrified me. Mm-hmm. And so this was a time where there was no internet. I know that's hard for some listeners to believe. Uh, I it say it all panic. the time. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and so it was difficult to find information. And I was in a, a full-on panic because my first year teaching, I was teaching second graders, and I had students who were dyslexic and multilingual learners, and you know, and I did not know. And it was my main responsibility. So I really started digging in. And I I finally decided I have to go to grad school, someplace where they're teaching you how to teach reading. And so on a whim and a prayer, I applied to Harvard and I somehow got in. And I studied with Jean Chaw, who was Uh, the goddess of reading at that time. uh, And she really broke it down for me, what it really means to learn to read and how to teach it. And after grad school, I I got to work uh, helping create some materials um with Marilyn Adams for five years. Uh, another so, one. yeah okay. like you, being... you got very
0: lucky. I did not yeah. have that experience. I went to Brooklyn College for my master's. So what did Me I too, Faith? Did you yep. know that, Me too. Yeah. So poor man's Ivy. And <laughs> and um, you know, it was more of the same. Mm-hmm. More of the same. And so I got a master's in reading. And I knew about genre studies and all these other things, but I still did not get the information. So that's very interesting. So going back to this book on um, phonics from A to Z, a lot of that, if I remember, it was a lot of word lists and almost like word families, um, like analytic type phonics and, and using patterns. Am I correct?
1: It was there are lists with each each uh, spelling, spelling, lists with the most common word families as you move up in the grades. Yeah. So I have lists of small uh, single syllable words and multisyllabic words and so on. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. So I guess I'm curious now with this science of reading, and a lot of the talk is systematic, structured phonics. Um, What do you think about, you know, um, programs that are separate from a core reading program?
1: Yeah, that's really tough. And that's what's happening in New York. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some of the programs are separated. I've always, the thing that has me concerned about some of what I see in schools is that there's so many things that are siloed. Like, oh, we need work in phonemic awareness, so let's get this great phonemic awareness program, but it has no connection to what we're doing in phonics. And, oh, we're doing this writing stuff, but that isn't brought into our phonics. You know what I mean? Everything is kind of its own little animal, and it's not working well. So I'll give you just a really basic example. I've gone into classrooms recently where children are doing these whole string of really good phonemic awareness activities. You know, they're, they're clapping syllables and doing rhyme, and then they go to the phonics lesson where they're expected to read words and write words, where they should be operating at the phoneme level. Mm-hmm. And there's no connection. What mm-hmm. they're doing at phonemic awareness isn't getting them ready for the reading and writing demands. And so I'm asking the teachers, you know, that there isn't the understanding of how one is leading into the other. Yeah. And so part of the work I do is try to make those connections so the instruction is seamless. And how, when we're doing whatever activities we're doing, folding in what we're doing in writing, what we're doing, whatever it is, so that everything there's repetition across the instructional block. And there's a a lot of uh, melding together of all the things we want children to be able to do. We can't silo these things anymore.
0: So, Judy, as a coach, um, is that something that you try to do as well? I know going into schools, As a consultant and coaching and doing embedded work, um, that that is a real issue. Whether it's a core program that encompasses everything, or if they're a separate program,
2: somebody has to be making those connections. Your thoughts on that? All right. So for me, connections is the most important thing. I literally think I sleep in bed and think about those connections and how to make them happen. So, number one thing that has to happen in my professional opinion, and I'm just a coach, I'm not, you know, a scientist, I'm not a researcher, but kids are seeing many things like, for instance, in a phonics block, right? Maybe they're working on um, multi-syllabic words, glued sounds, phonemes, blending. If children don't have the time to practice those skills that they were taught in isolation, we're not going to get the results that we want. Kids, kids don't, you know, it's funny. I think A lot of teachers think that kids just get it, but they don't just get it. It might even mean you have to look around on the charts that are hanging in your wall and show kids, oh, there's that art control. Now let's decode that word. Kids just don't realize that unless we help them realize, especially in the early stages. So I'm hoping that you know, as we're redesigning literacy blocks and you know, I talk about this on every episode and actually people are messaging me privately about that as well, giving me ideas. If we don't give time for kids to practice skills taught in isolation, we're going to have a hard time. Kids need practice reading decodable text. They need practice at the tier one level as a whole class. Maybe they need help with that same passage in a tier two setting where they get to practice that same passage together with additional support. And we also need to think about tier three instruction where kids really need a lot more support and maybe decodable passages that may look a little bit different than the passage they saw in tier one. And another thing that Wiley said really interested me as well. um, It made a lot of sense. So a lot of schools now, they're doing a great job. The schools that I'm in, OMG. I have not seen something this amazing in years. In 25 years, I've never been this inspired that something good is about to happen. But let me give you an example of different things that people are thinking about. So a lot of people are launching, doing soft launches of Hegarty right now. Mm-hmm. And they're starting Hegarty. Some schools are starting at the beginning. Some, some some, people are starting like on unit eight. And that's exactly what's happening, Wiley, a little bit. Kids are doing stuff in Hegarty that doesn't match the foundations possibly. And then it's very hard for kids to make connections. So I gave one teacher uh, feedback. I'm like, hmm. The teacher told me, the kids are still having trouble with blending. I'm like, okay, why don't you let's look at Hegarty together and see where they're working on some of that. And I think what's problematic for some teachers is they feel so pressured because the big word has been fidelity, that they forget you could be responsive to the student's needs as well. I think everybody wants to do things right. But if you don't help kids make those connections, it's a lot harder. So... You know,
0: Judy, you brought up so many good points. Um Wiley, in the article, it said um that uh the chancellor, uh Banks said that you know he he was um understanding the principal's concerns, but he said, I understand it, but I also look at the data.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The system has provided a level of autonomy already, and it hasn't worked. Yeah. Your thoughts about this on uh, autonomy and then um, trying to choose from three programs, making it work. Um, you know, we had a guest on Maureen Ruby who talked about how programs, um, there's no perfect program. That it's really about building teacher knowledge. So your thoughts about what Chancellor Banks said?
1: Well, there's a lot to unpack there. You know, New York City is unique in that the campuses were basically allowed to do what they want to do. And no one likes to be told what to do after years of not being told what to do. And so that's going to be a challenge in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Also, the chancellor is is a, a political appointee and mayors have short terms and and principals know that, that in two years, someone else could be here saying something different. And there's a lot of anxiety around that. We've had lots of conversations about, you know, some of those kinds of challenges. But I was in uh, Queens about a week ago talking to some district leaders there. They're not in phase one, they're in phase two. So they have next year to do a lot of the PD before it's implemented. And I don't know exactly what my role will be in helping them. Uh, but we talked about some possibilities and and some of it is planning pd that's really focused on the application to the materials they're going to use so it makes sense Mm -hmm. you know the letters training is great but if you don't connect it to what's happening in that program and in that classroom it really falls apart and so we're also we know that there are some some issues with the materials that have have been chosen and so we're looking at those issues and seeing what we can do this school year to, to address them and fix them. There is the whole thing about fidelity. I've had lots of conversations with principals in New York City. What does that mean to you? You have a program where these, these issues have been identified. How long are you gonna have your teachers use that program with fidelity before you start fixing those known issues? And principals have different feelings about that. You, When you get a set of materials, you have to know them well and deeply to be able to use them effectively. But there are some known issues that have to be addressed pretty quickly in order for it to have the impact we want. And so we've had some conversations about the programs chosen and the issues that will need to be looked at and addressed in the upcoming school year, so that when they're in phase two, they're ready to tackle those and have resources for teachers to to fix some of those things. So hopefully the principals will be very open to that.
0: Yeah. So Interesting. So you, you mentioned um, quite a bit, the importance of filling in the gaps and in order to fill in the gaps, you have to know something deeply, right? You have to know what you have and um, what works and what's not working about it. So it's, you know, a lot of people keep Pushing different types of things without understanding deeply, well, what's wrong with what you have now? And and that's so important. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, it's a really good point you make because one of the conversations we had was looking at what's happening now and letting teachers know these are the things you're doing really well that Mm -hmm. we're doing. These are the things you're doing that could be better. And these are some fine tunings we're going to do. And these are things you're doing that really are problematic. And this is why
2: mm-hmm. this is what
1: the research is saying. And we're going to stop doing those things. So being, because it's, it's, a it's sort of, you know, head snapping when you try to do something and you're like, everything's wrong. This is bad. Throw it away, do this. And teachers have no idea what's going on. What have mm-hmm. I been doing for the last 20 years that, it's still great. We want to be very forthright with teachers about what is working, what we continue, what we fine tune and what we stop. And that has to be a really precise conversation with the materials they're going to use.
0: Yeah. So Judy, you know, I know that you just said um, something about looking at what's on the walls in your classroom. And I know when I would walk through classrooms in different districts, one thing I would see is it could be a phonics chart on the wall, but right in the same room, there will be the Skippy Frog poster. I haven't seen
2: Skippy Frog posters in a while.
0: Okay, well, they're not, they have not been buried here. I am telling you, Skippy Frog still is hopping away. <laughs> he's, like, he's he's still having fun in many classrooms, and so you'll see the Skippy Frog poster with skipping words and um all the little animals that tell you ways to get around the word rather than read through the word, you know, left to right and using your sounds. So there's this contradiction. I, from what I'm hearing from Wiley and from what you said. The coaching piece and what Nate said, Nate Joseph said in his research, how important the coach is. So whether it's an outside consultant or a building coach, somebody has to be pulling this together because, you know, the principals, as you said, Judy, they have a lot of responsibilities. They might be the instructional leaders, but they also are running a building. So... You know, your thoughts on that, Judy, as far as, um, you know, seeing contradictions in a room and as Wiley said, picking out what's really good, what's not working, what
2: really needs to go. So I think a building leader's one tip of advice I would give as a coach is, you know, count on your staff, delegate responsibilities, and think of who can help with what. Not one person can't do everything. So it's very important, I think, to stay strategic. Like, you can't have so many chiefs in the, what's that expression? Chefs in the kitchen? Yeah. Uh, you know, too, <laughs> many cooks, too many cooks bro- spoil the broth. Right, and I also think it's very important that all the members of the cabinets and schools speak the same language. There needs to be that cohesive language. And You know, it's just going to take time to get everything into place. I have not seen Skippy Frog at all.
0: Okay. I know there's some
2: decoding dragon now. I don't use him that much. I don't know. I I think, you know, on long I use very science-specific. He still exists. I don't need the, no, there's a new guy. He's the dragon, the decoding dragon. I don't use any of it. I like to tell kids, here's a diagraph. Let's slide through with your finger. Simple. (laughs) Bingo. kids. Embrace that language very quickly. It is amazing, the power of good instruction. Currently, and I don't usually like to talk about the work that I do on the show, but the hell with it today. I'm working in one class. And those kids, I just cannot believe how much kids can fall in love with the science. And one of the classes, they've only been doing phonics for the last couple of months. There was a kid that was a non-reader a couple of months back. That kid is reading multisyllabic words within a couple of months. It is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. But I do think that there's still some work to do, right? Libraries, what does a classroom library look like, right? That's going to have to shift. Are we going to have those level baskets? Are we going to have genre baskets? Are we going to have decoding baskets? What books are we going to have to purchase? I think it's really important have those discussions, not just the principal makes the decision, but as a team, have teacher input, have parent input. All parties need to unite to move the work forward. That's how I really feel. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's important um,
0: what you said about parents, because many parents have older kids and their kids were taught with balanced literacy, very little phonics. And now there's going to be more of this push, they have to understand as well. And if they're reading with their children, they should not be encouraging kids to use the pictures or to um, you know move around a word rather than, as you said, through a word. So here's something interesting, Wiley. In the article, there was a quote and it said, um, in districts where the transition will be more significant, And there may be more opposition, such as Manhattan's District 2, which includes Tribeca, Chelsea, and the Upper East Side. And by the way, for those listeners listening, if you're not familiar with New York City, um, this is probably um, one of the better school districts in the city and probably one of the wealthiest school Mm -hmm. districts in the city, I, I would think. The department has allowed an additional year for the change to take place. So, here's a question that I want to throw out to you. There are many moms, dyslexia moms, listening to this show, and I'm using that term in an endearing way. I hope people know that I have the utmost respect for the moms who are involved with their kids, and they are in districts like a district two in Manhattan, okay? And their kids were not learning to read. And I could see there could be parents in these districts where their kids might have um, diagnosed dyslexia. And there's this delay because many of the kids do okay, or as though it looks like they're doing okay, but many of them go for outside tutoring and they're getting help outside the school system. So I know as somebody who was um, a regional reading coach with Reading First many years ago, that we were in low performing school districts while other districts were able to kind of continue using balanced literacy. So I'm, I'm a little confused why that's taken into consideration? Why are some districts on this delayed path while others are going to start immediately? Your thoughts, Wiley?
1: Well, from the conversations that I was privy to, they were going to roll it out over many more years. And a lot of us on the council felt great stress about that because it's exactly, there'd be children in schools who would be using faulty materials for many, many years. And that's really unfair to them so they've truncated it to the two years which is a massive undertaking for a district the size of new york so i believe that the schools who are doing it the first year they were able to choose yes we are ready we want to do that and other schools were allowed to wait an additional year so i think that was part of the decision making process so they would have these these two groups and the second group would have time during that year not only to prepare but to Observe what's happening. Visit those schools and, and get some, the kind of information that they would need to make that transition more successful. There were there were conversations about schools that might be um, exempt because their scores are higher, what have you. But I don't know if that's if that's really going to to be the case I haven't heard one way or another and as you know as you said some of those schools is because they're wealthier schools and the children get tutors and that's why they're doing okay and it's not really what's happening in the
2: classroom
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: yeah right exactly so Judy you're in Greenwich I'm on Long Island um you know I we've we've talked about this before It seems like districts, these high-performing districts, are very slow to change. Even if all around them there's change happening, they are seeing the city change, do you think that districts in Greenwich, Connecticut, or where I am on Long Island, um, where there is great wealth and Privilege that um, perhaps they will be slower to change.
2: So my feeling is so, yes, I live in Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, they were definitely a little bit behind the curve. New York City, from what I was seeing. We've been doing phonics for a while. It didn't just happen this year. Many of our schools have been doing it even when I was on universal literacies. And that's about seven years in total that I've been in love with phonics. <laughs> in so, love with so, it. I tutor kids after work, and I have been seeing foundations in Connecticut for about the last three years, so that's good. I also know a lot of the kids in the town that I live in, they use Lexia Learning, which aligns with foundations very nicely, and a lot of the kids actually love it more than some other programs. But I do know right now, because the kids I work with, and and I've spoken about this on many episodes, I'll have kids that say, Miss Judy, Miss Judy, Miss Judy, my teacher's still telling me, use the picture, use the picture. What do I do? I'm confused. And I said, you're not confused. Miss Judy's right. (laughs) <laughs> just uh, listen to furious. me <laughs> so you know these are yeah. the private conversations I'm having with six-year-olds
0: well it's, you know what I would tell them, parents wait, 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 well. thing. I would say just tell them don't do it don't listen to that I do the same thing it's, it, it's infuriating yes it's
2: infuriating yes I see people not following neuropsych reports that clearly say the child needs you know Orton Gillingham or you know, phonics. Structured, based, structured right. Structured but here's producer. here's the point. Wait, wait But did I say one piece of good news? Go ahead. You know, I'm an optimist. Yeah. Or a realist, and optimist. I don't know what I am. I used to be a centrist. Now I'm not a centrist. All That's, right. I, we got rid of that terrible word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, that some things I did in the past, I still... I know, but I by. can't stand that word. Go I ahead. Know <laughs> I know you can't. I do think that even in my town, things are about to change. I think the whole state of Connecticut is going to change. There's laws being written now, Faith. Yeah, but can I tell you something? Here's what I wanted to say.
0: Yes, even here on Long Island as well, foundations and, you know, again, I'm not big on names, but phonics in general has been used here for a very long time, but it was layered on top of Teachers college reading and writing project guided reading, all that other stuff. And as you said, Wiley, there was it's all disconnected. So it's not really that if phonics wasn't done, it's that it was done for a very small part of the day and it had no connection to leveled books and the up and the rest of the block so that's why you don't see the results because it doesn't make sense and that's why I was talking about coaching so Wiley here's something else that came from this article and again you know I know we're talking about New York City but this is everywhere to me this conversation could be anywhere USA absolutely mm-hmm. so in the in the article um Lucy Hawkins oh uh, I know I have to say it. Drink up. Do you have a drink, Wiley? (laughs) I have Okay. Very good. So it said that um, Lucy said. Again. Again. Okay, I'm doing what I've come to believe in all these years, period. That's what principals are saying. She said that principals are saying this. There are quite a few principals I know who are saying, I'm doing what I've come to believe in all these years, period. Lucy Calkins, a balanced literacy leader, uh uh-oh, I said it again. Drink up, Judy. Told educators at a teacher's college event in March you can say no. And people all over the country are doing so. So what kind of message is that, Wiley? You can say no.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> there's so much to unpack with that.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack with that.
1: So it's, it's a really frustrating thing for me because our responsibility is to teach all children and the huge range of needs that every classroom has. And so and there are things that are going on that clearly aren't doing that. One of the studies, one of my very first studies was back in 2000 here in New York City. It was a first grade study. All the teachers taught the same phonics lessons the same day, the same way I watched and my research assistant watched. The only difference was the text they read afterwards. One group had decodable text that matched the instruction. One had pattern text. Both groups made progress both groups made movement, but one group made significantly more progress faster. And Mm -hmm. that was the group with the decodable text. And so for me, I share that with a lot of district people because for me, we need to move children from point A to point B as quickly and as efficiently as possible. We have a very short window to build that foundation we know that children need to be reading before they leave first grade that the whole reading by third grade drives me crazy we know in early kindergarten by mid-kindergarten we know who's at risk we should be doing triage and they need to be reading by the end of first grade and that's like
0: yes
1: yes completely and so we we have these resources that can move the needle faster and and the thing is people talk about like reading, and my child is reading so much above grade level, what have you, then I give a spelling assessment. Mm -hmm. can't spell to save their lives, because they don't understand how English works, Mm -hmm. which is what you get from strong phonics instruction. And the conversations around around how English works is not just about reading, it's about writing, there's so much more to it. Mm -hmm. And so, so you know, showing that data, how we can make more progress with more children faster is really important. And the benefits that it has to both reading and writing and so on, those conversations need to be had, that data needs to be shown. You know, I get really frustrated when I go to a school and they're like, well, these children aren't doing well because they're from poor families or they're not oh, getting... Oh, it
0: gets me crazy. I know.
1: I come from a poor family. There's nothing that upsets me more. Mm-hmm. Attitude has always been Everything that child needs, I need to provide in my classroom for that child. They're pieces, and so we we just have to have that mentality. We we have the tools in place to know who is progressing, at the at the rate and the the speed with which they need to. We have the tools to speed it up if they don't. Mm-hmm. And so, in those first two years, are so critical. That's right. And we know so much. It's really an exciting time that we know so much more to do so much better. Um, And so everyone, I can't, I can't imagine someone not wanting to do better for every child in their school or in their classroom.
0: Yep. So you mentioned decodable books, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm working on Long Island and there's a district here that was also in the process of changing. And I'm the consultant. We started in kindergarten this year was first grade and The biggest expense for this district was buying the decodable books. But if you don't do that, it goes out the window. Again, it's a waste to really even think about this. And as Judy said before, practice, practice, practice. If you're not making time for the practice, you're not in decodable books. There's no reinforcement. It's not going to happen for a lot of kids.
1: So for me, (laughs) the bottom line is a decodable text is a practice tool. Yes. My mantra is it's in the application where the learning sticks. When I look at a phonics lesson, I think about how much time are children picking up a book and picking up a pencil. And it should be the majority of the time. A little bit of instruction, a lot of using that skill. So there are decodable texts out there that aren't very good. And I avoid those. And I tell people to be very picky about the decodable text that you choose publishers to try to create really great decodables. So I know that teachers have had some bad experiences and so there's some negative feelings. But, you know, I bring in better ones so they see how good they can be, yes. and they see all the things that can be done with them. Like, I do things around vocabulary and comprehension and syntax and early yeah. reading behavior and mm-hmm. writing and all kinds of stuff. Like, they're, they're, you can do, you can milk a lot out of a decodable text. 100%. percent they yes. a practice tool to get to fluency quickly so students mm-hmm. can easily transfer the skill. And those first two years when we're teaching the skills, they're so critical. They not only build those reading skills, but seeing those patterns over and over and over affects their ability to write using those patterns. So they're an essential tool.
0: Yes. Yes. So, you know, I I think, Judy, um, in this discussion, it looks like the three of us are saying exactly the same thing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Exactly the same thing. Wiley
2: is totally speaking my love language. He said so many things that I absolutely love. And when Wiley said... You think you, they could read well? Let's see how they spell. Oh, yep. gee. Yes. 100%. Spelling. Spelling is the window. into. Nobody everything. talks yep. about writing. I've seen people that just say, you know what? We're going to teach them how to read. We'll deal with the writing later. And this is a private client that I was working with. She said that's what the school was telling her. He knows how to read at a level N, but he can't write a sentence. What does that tell you? Yeah, that he he doesn't understand the code deeply
0: enough. And, um, you know, and you see that there are some kids who could get by with the reading. But, you know, the spelling <laughs> is really um, a window into what they know.
1: It's It's an amazing window.
0: Yes, yes, yes. So let's wrap up. So Wiley, is there anything that we did not cover that you would like to add?
1: One of the things that I'm having lots of conversations about that I think it's important to just for everyone to pause and think about for a minute, there's a lot of really great information coming at teachers really fast. And a lot of it is coming at them in really small tidbits and at a very surface level. And so some of what I'm seeing is when when things get into the classroom at a surface level, it's very easy to misapply, misunderstand overgeneralize and what have you, and take something that's great and make it into something that's not so great. So we really need to have everyone spending the time to dig a little deeper into these new concepts. You know, what's underneath this, it's like an iceberg. What's underneath the surface is the nuance we need to understand, the limitations of the research, the the best ways to apply a, a certain principle or activity or what have you. And so we need to take the time to really dig into those things Um, And I think that we have a greater chance of having success with accelerating student learning if, if we understand these high impact routines and the limitations of things and what have you more deeply. So that's my big concern right now. The other concern is that there aren't enough decodables. Publishers need to create more decodables with the same scope and sequence because one or two things being read a week is not enough. And I don't want this to fail because children aren't doing enough reading. We have tons and tons of level books. We have like one or two decodables per skill. It's not enough reading. So we have to accommodate for that until more decodables come out. So well, that those I, are other yeah, things i am working on.
0: There are, um, I, I think there are quite a lot more decodable choices than yes. ever before. And yeah. I've seen some quality ones and um, we could talk, <laughs> but um, I, I've seen some good ones and we've gotten some good ones into the Lindbrook School District. And now the library in Lindbrook will be carrying the same decodables over the summer. So right. those parents who um, you know want to practice over the summer, it will be available in the public library. Right. So we're trying to do this whole wraparound reform. But um, Judy, is there anything you want to
2: add? I sure do. First of all, I want to thank Wiley for being here today. This is like a dream come true. Yeah, for New York City both of us. loves you. Of all us. of us coaches, they just, Wiley? Judy, you said Wiley? <laughs> yes. Wiley. We love you, Wiley. But oh, anyway, right. in real estate, there's a phrase called location, location, location. In reading, there's a phrase called application, application, yes. application. <laughs> So that's I love that, Judy. Yeah, I thought of it on the fly. I'm so happy. (laughs) And then the other thing is teachers, principals, parents, let's all fall in love with decoding. I fell in love with decoding after I read Wiley's book, Fresh Look at Phonics, and I will never look back. I I know that things I did in the past, some of them are still okay. Some of them could have been a hell of a lot better. So I want to personally thank you, Wiley. You changed my life. And because you changed my life, I'm impacting so many other teachers and so many other principals. I go into little principals' offices now and I'm like, hey, do you know the syllable types? Let's talk. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) I show parents, you know, so all it takes is one person at a time. We can make a tremendous impact. I am feeling pumped. I'm excited for New York City. I think we're going to see great things, but patience, patience. Patience and application.
1: Yep, yep. It takes some so, time to get there.
0: Yeah. So um, I second what Judy said, Wiley. Um, honestly, I didn't even really know the term phonics until I got your book. Um, and like I said, it was in the 1990s or something like that. And um, and then I started on the path to learning more and more. But I, I do want to thank you. This is a dream for me also to uh-huh. meet you. And uh, it's very exciting. What I do want to ask you one more thing that I missed before. Um, you know, this movement with the three different core programs, um, you know, two of them in particular are, um, you know, heavily based in content area reading, a lot of, I assume, nonfiction. Um, how do you feel about that as a choice? And I'm not commenting on the, um, the name of the program. I don't really care.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm
0: just talking about that whole movement. What is your thought on it?
1: Well, it's interesting you ask that because I'm always invited to talk about how we improve the systematic explicit phonics instruction in the early grades. While I'm there, I always ask the schools, how are you systematically and explicitly building knowledge and vocabulary? Mm -hmm. And they rarely have an answer and we have to be doing both simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if these curriculums will help do that, that's great. Mm -hmm. If schools organize their read-alouds around topics, so they're reading the same topic for multiple weeks and building that deep knowledge and vocabulary and giving students opportunity, that's great too. But we need some way to be building both simultaneously. I was doing some, I was in Ohio on Monday and Tuesday, and I was watching a lesson, the teacher was reading a decodable. There were several words in this decodable that children didn't know. Mm-hmm. I think a missed opportunity. every moment we should be building vocabulary, elevating language and what have you, because children have so many deficits in that area. And if they get to third, fourth, fifth grade, and they don't have a strong foundation of reading and lots of vocabulary, lots of background knowledge, those texts are going to be really difficult for them. And so we need equal attention on both. Yeah.
0: So thank you. i'm I'm so glad that was like one point I missed because I you know I just want to sum up for everybody. It's, it's not the program. I think what we're all seeing here is if you know something deeply, you know what needs to be taught, you know the standards, you understand um, that children need social studies. So whether it's being taught during a social studies lesson or a science lesson, they need to be reading and, um, and you need to be going over vocabulary. And years ago, we used to teach with themes. I'm sure you remember that, Wiley. I don't know about you. I remember, you remember that everything. But you did? Okay. So it was all, you know, gathering books all around a theme. And that's how we would develop content area, knowledge, and vocabulary. So, I, you know, I think people just have to understand that the phonics is important. We need some co- cohesive way of bringing this together. Lots and lots of practice in both areas of language and Right. So, okay. So let's wrap up. Judy,
2: hit it. All right. Just one more request to Wiley. Wiley, one day I'm going to message you and I hope we could talk more about structuring a beautiful literacy block, but not today. Be great. Yes. <laughs> that would be amazing. Okay. So here we go Twitter. Follow Judy at Boxster Judy. Follow Faith at Faith Borkowski. Follow us on Instagram. High Five Literacy, that's Faith. Follow me on Instagram, Boxner Damsky. Also join us on Facebook, The Literacy View, Real Teachers Letting Loose, and America and all over the world. We loved having Wiley. Faith, are you going to sing happy birthday? Let's do okay, it. Okay, let's do it now. One, two, three. Happy, happy birthday. birthday. Okay, maybe we should <laughs> Wish
0: you all the best, Wiley. Thank you
1: so much.
0: Good night. Bye.
1: Hi everyone